0: Welcome to the Demand Gen Club podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to B2B demand generation secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SaaS MQL, the account-based marketing agency based in Redwood City, California. They help venture-funded SaaS companies scale demand generation from target accounts by combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology, SaaS MQL can help your startup generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Demand Gen Club podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporale. Our guest today is Crystal Guerra, Director of Demand Generation at Instructure. Instructure is the company that helps people grow from the first day of school to the last day of work. More than 30 million people use its Canvas and Bridge platforms for learning management and employee development. Crystal has over 10 years of experience in event programming, media relations, digital marketing, and demand generation. She thrives on marketing solutions that drive results and has worked with hundreds of clients ranging from mid sized to large enterprise Fortune 500 companies and has been involved in raising over $8 million in venture capital. Crystal is also the CEO and founder of Guerra Media, an agency dedicated to advocating for inclusivity, women in leadership, and preparing young adults for career success. In 2019, Crystal was recognized as one of Utah's 30 Women to Watch by Utah Business Magazine. So I'm really happy to welcome today, Crystal Guerra, Director of Demand Generation at Instructure. Crystal, it's really great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So I want to start right away with a little bit about your background and your story, how you got started with demand generation, and uh, you know some of the roles that you had in the past as well as your current role.
1: For sure. So, um, like I said, it's great to be here. Uh, my background is is definitely far from tech, and so it's you know fun now being in demand gen and learning tech. I've been in um, tech for a little bit over ten years now. Um, Where I started was I actually always had an interest in marketing. So I am a Utah native, born and raised in Utah, in a very small farming kind of rural community. And that really was my introduction into business and the world of marketing. And I had an opportunity to graduate with a bachelor's degree and with a marketing emphasis. From then on, I started as an intern at a project and portfolio tech company Headquartered here in Utah. So started as an intern, didn't know anything about Demand Gen, started learning more about the world of software as a service, and started really in corporate events and from there kind of grew out of corporate events and learned all about demand gen and decided to kind of make a pivot. I like the idea of being closer aligned with sales and you know really focused on the bottom line and running campaigns that created business impact.
0: And uh, you spent quite a few years, I see, at uh, Marketware, and mm-hmm. you went from being director and MVP. How was your experience there? And what are some of the learnings that you think uh, you uh, acquired from uh, from that company and that role?
1: For sure. So I went from kind of at task, which was the first tech company that was, I was with, And what was an exciting experience with them was seeing them grow from a startup to kind of a mid-sized company. We underwent three different rebrands. And so at that company, I felt like I had an opportunity to really understand how all of the different departments were connected and what the role of marketing really was. And so when I made the leap to market where as a director of demand gen, kind of went back to that small startup space where I found that I kind of missed aspects of that, I feel like it's fun once you get to that mid-large size company. Um, but I really enjoy the building, the building phase. You know, being the one to architect and kind of set up the processes. So when I got to Marketware, which was focused on a healthcare company, um, they really were at ground zero in terms of they had a product and they had a a niche for it, focused in healthcare, and so they had their client base really dialed in and focused. Um, and they just needed an opportunity to get it to market to get it out to more people. And so definitely a lot of learnings. I think that company, uh, one of the exciting things for me was I had an opportunity to raise capital, raise a couple of uh, rounds of capital. And so if you've ever had a chance to do that, it's quite the dog and pony show, you know, going going the rounds to find the right partner, really getting an opportunity to share your business, what your kind of vision is with your department and team. And so that was a very unique experience to be part of the leadership team and rise up into a position of leadership where I was working hand in hand with our CEO, our VP of sales.
0: And then you went to, from a startup again to a much larger company, which is Instructor. <laughs> so what was the yep. impact there going back to a large company?
1: For sure. So um, it was nice in the sense of, you know, we had bigger budgets, but I think what caught my interest about Instructure, um, we're, we're most known for the makers of Canvas. And so for any of you that either are recently in college or have, um, you know, kids that are in school, you might've come across our software. Um, we provide a learning management platform for K through 12 and higher education. And so I think what was interesting about Instructure was that it had been around since you know 2008 but it happened to also be uh, a product that hit the market at the right time. And so in terms of demand gen, the demand gen engine itself was actually newer to the company. I think when we kind of got started in the market it was a little bit like riding a bicycle downhill in the sense that they just happened to hit right time had a great product, definitely better than anything that was out there. And so from a marketing standpoint you kind of skip some of the strategy and some of the processes, foundation work, and so when I came in, I feel like it felt like a startup inside of a larger organization because there was still so much to, um, so much left to build, so much left to explore and A/B test um, when it came to the demand gen side specifically.
0: And uh, what's your team like today, uh, instructor? So how many? how many people in the marketing team demand gen?
1: For sure. So um, we're smaller on the demand gen side. So myself, I'm actually our director of demand gen for our North America market, which is about where 80% of our business comes from. Um, something that's exciting about us is that back in 2019, we actually went from being publicly traded to being privately held company, which is very unique from where a lot of people normally like to go. So I have myself, and then I also have a counterpart who um, tag teams with me for K through 12 and higher education. And then our global email marketing team also reports up through me.
0: Awesome. And uh, I I know you. If I remember correctly, your favorite tech stack used with Salesforce and Marketo. That's something you're pretty used to. Is that what you have today, uh, instructor?
1: Yep. Um, Definitely. I've been familiar with Eloqua. I actually used HubSpot at my last organization, um, implemented them, everything from, you know, the web to our email automation. Here I've had an opportunity to go back to Marketo, which I hadn't used in probably about eight years. (laughs) Hmm. And so they've come a long ways, but they're, you know, such a well-known player in the space with integrations for just about every system
0: and since you have used uh, Eloqua, HubSpot, and Marketo, do you think uh, would you recommend one over the other based on company industry or size of the company? Is there a, is there a, a way or a, a method to select one versus the other?
1: Sure, I would say definitely size of the team and organization, and also budget. Um, Marketo and Eloqua. As enterprise solutions definitely are a lot more expensive. Um, I think HubSpot actually think that they've got they've grown a lot in functionality, and they're they're great for kind of that small or mid sized company. I think something that HubSpot has an advantage over some of the enterprise solutions is they're definitely built with a more user friendly kind of intuitive interface. So that's kind of what I would use as far as the marker for when it makes sense to upgrade or not is. One, definitely being mindful of your budget and and spend because it can add up pretty quickly depending on how many contacts you have. And then second to that, I would say um, looking at your team structure for sure.
0: Makes sense. Uh, Yeah, especially on even HubSpot is getting pretty expensive now. So you mentioned Tableau. So I want to kind of touch on the analytics side. What's your dashboard like? Is that in Salesforce? Is that in Marketo? Is that in Tableau? Like, how do you look mm-hmm. at data and how frequently do you look? And what, what are the metrics that you look um, frequently?
1: For sure. So, I absolutely love data. I think that it is the keystone to success when you're talking about demand gen. And I feel like it's what separates marketers from demand gen kind of specialists and um really makes a difference. And so I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing uh, revenue operations team that is helping us connect all of our data points into a digestible dashboard that we get to build together. So I actually look at all my data in Salesforce, but it's held within a Tableau dashboard. So it's actually built in Tableau and then um, embedded in our Salesforce instance. My kind of North Star for success Number one is pipeline for sure. (laughs) So we have very clear pipeline targets yearly, quarterly, and that's kind of my first metric that I look at. And then from there, click down into channel optimization, funnel velocity, campaign performance, and uh, average days in stage, average days to close. It really gets pretty uh, granular in terms of the data points that I'm looking at. But I probably have at least two or three reporting tabs open on my computer at all times.
0: And when you say Seven pipeline, <laughs> when you say pipeline, do you mean overall pipeline of the sales team, the company, or is just the pipeline that is sourced, quote unquote, by marketing or influenced by sure. marketing? How do, you, how do you look at that?
1: So I definitely look at both. Um, I have specific targets for what we refer to as just our MGO, so marketing generated opportunities. While it's important for me to make sure that we're hitting our targets, I mean, I do look at the overall health of the organization. We really try and play team here. So it's never a sales versus marketing. But it's always, where are the gaps as a business as a whole? And where can we help out? And so I would say at you know at the end of the day, I'm on the hook for our marketing generated pipeline and specifically inbound from the marketing generated side of the house. But I do like to look at the overall mix that we have coming in because COVID was a perfect example where we had such a big volume of inbound that there was no need. I mean, we we needed to pull the outbound team over to help us on the inbound side with the the influx we had, right? And so in that case, I expected to see the mix look a little bit different.
0: And so when you say marketing generated opportunities or MGO, is that looked from a first touch, last touch perspective? How is your funnel today and your attribution?
1: So attribution is, I think every marketer's (laughs) like kind of nightmare of a term in terms of how you track that. Um, we do look at first touch. We do have an even uh, distribution model uh, reporting that we can look at the multi-touch, like an evenly distributed percentage, as I would say, of attribution. But as far as lead sourced and what comes in, it is based on that first touch. Um, but then we have the opportunity to kind of track multiple campaigns as uh, someone moves through the funnel
0: you track those campaigns uh, in Salesforce and Mm -hmm. using like campaign object?
1: Yep. We use the campaign object. Again, our our revenue operations team has done a great job of working with us to set up that, that uh, process. But it is very intricate in terms of required fields, everything from dollar amounts to expected responses, tracking links are auto-populated. So we definitely leverage the uh, campaign objects.
0: Nice. Awesome. So I want to also talk about lead sources since we talked about campaigns. I want to understand uh, what are some of your top lead sources today and uh, what are you investing most of your budget?
1: Yep. So I would say our website is definitely still our number one kind of biggest muscle when it comes to regeneration opportunities. Now, if you look at the mix of where people are gravitating towards in terms of content. Oftentimes that is demand gen offers that are now posted like a webinar that's been reposted to the website, but overall content strategy is definitely at the forefront of our lead gen engine. Um, That's something that was a very big thing for me when I came on is understanding how much content we had and making sure again, that that was at the forefront. So I would say our websites are number one. Um, Second to that, a big contributor for us is events. We are in the education um, industry and in this field, face-to-face is actually still very much valued. And so we've seen a lot of success with both K through 12 and higher ed really gravitating towards events um, as kind of industry thought leadership, trade shows, forums, and summits. So that's been important. And then I would say a click down from that is um, just a lot of our paid effort, So directory listings and content syndication programs.
0: So, yeah, perfect. I wanna also go back to the events cause I think that's gonna be, is a pretty interesting discussion nowadays. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned that you, Evento is one of the top lead sources, obviously before uh, COVID started. How do you see the transition from live events to virtual events? And I know you guys also have a big uh, user conference as part of your uh, annual programs. Can you tell us a little more about this?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's been interesting for sure. as, As everyone knows, you know, field marketing took a hit this year with COVID and a lot of our annual trade shows that we look forward to, you know, needing to move online. I think that it, is definitely unique. You know, one of the things that it has allowed though is that I think it's allowed us to have a little bit more access to some of our users. You know, one of the the tight things with education is that, you know, budgets are tight and unless you're a very large district or institution, chances are you can't afford to have too many of your users travel. And so one thing that was kind of nice with of these shows going online is that we got to connect with users for the first time that you know normally wouldn't wouldn't get approved to travel because they're kind of on the lower side of management or just budget restrictive. So I think that's been one of the pros. It's been hard to measure engagement. (laughs) You know, you come back from a show you typically have your hot leads list, your you know medium and low and with it being online, it's kind of hard to know and understand who um, truly engaged and who was you know, listening to your content or presentation because you can't physically see people. So in terms of our user conference, we have a very big industry show that um, everyone typically looks forward to, around three, 4,000 people. We moved that online for the first time this year and ended up with a little over 30,000 people registered, which was just amazing. It was a global conference, which was also unique for us. So there there were some pros in that. I think, um, like I said, we had a lot of people thanking us because in the past they haven't been able to go because it's been um, budget restrictive. And and this year that wasn't the case. And so it wasn't geography uh, dependent either. Usually, you know, when we do it on the West Coast, we get a lot of West Coast people out. And so... There weren't any boundaries in that sense.
0: Do you think that the engagement is higher if you organize a virtual event versus a series of webinars, for example? Because in many, sure. ca- in many ways, you know, they, are, they are similar. Right? At the end, is, yep. is an online presentation. What do you think is the difference and do you see a difference in, in engagement?
1: Um, yes, I do see a little bit of difference in engagement. I think one of the differences between a standard webinar and more of an event focus is the engagement in the session or the platform that you can do. So typically, like we host our webinars through just a Zoom, a Zoom instance. With the virtual event, we actually used a more tailored kind of event platform that allowed for more of a real type kind of networking and connections feel. And so I think that was the difference where people could actually come and it looked like it was a table that you were around, there was a whiteboard feature. So I think if you're gonna go the event route and you wanna pitch it as an event, um, it's important to make sure that the tools and the tech stack and the platform that you're using allows for additional engagement. You know, when you do a webinar, it's very much a presenter style mode where you don't get to see a lot of face, face of the attendees, you might just have the one chat feature. One of the things that we did with this event is really trying, we had a selfie booth like option. We had badges people could earn. So we really tried to gamify the experience to make it feel and kind of replicate as much as we could the face-to-face experience.
0: And can you share what platform did you guys use for the event?
1: We used um, Remo and um, Mobile Rider. So it's a couple of a couple of different platforms there. I've used Loom um, before. That's another one that I actually had an opportunity pr- to present on as a speaker That was a great experience. So I would just say make sure to do your research and shop around for a platform that's going to complement what you're trying to accomplish and also make sure that it integrates with your existing marketing tech stack.
0: Nice to hear. I hear obviously a lot now of uh, virtual yeah. virtual events platform. So I'm always curious to know which one is supporting this large virtual events and 30,000 users is pretty large. Yeah. Cool. So I also want to ask you about your relationship with sales because obviously, you know, your focus is pipeline. You are very concentrated on generating more and more uh, opportunities for the sales team. So how do you work with them what kind of cadence do you have? Do you share a dashboard together? Like, how does uh, the process work?
1: For sure. So this was this is personally one of my soapboxes when it comes to demand gen is having a good relationship with sales. I've been in organizations where it's been a us versus them, and it never it never works in anyone's favor. And so um, there's a saying that says, a "Rising tide raises all ships." And I feel like at the end of the day, when the company is doing well, it just makes everyone's job easier. (laughs) And so um, for me, I really, when I got here at Instructure, I really extended a piece offering when it came to our SDR team. They actually used to sit with marketing. They've now realigned and they sit with sales. But I have a weekly kind of stand-up meeting with our um, SDR managers and they're a part of our marketing agenda we have bi-weekly sales huddles where i'm a fraction of the agenda of all the things that they're talking about so we have i absolutely love our global SDR manager she's amazing i have a really good open transparent relationship with sales leadership as well i always let them know that we're here to you know be a partner to them i think it's also important because they're kind of our boots on the ground And so my campaign can only be as successful as the feedback that they're providing. And then obviously they're the ones that are following up with the leads. So for me, my goal is always to give them as much ammunition as they need to uh, make sure that the campaign is successful and that they understand what this lead source was, where it came from, how they can best follow up and kind of handle those and provide as much insight as possible.
0: Do you think it matters where they report? If the reports are... to marketing or sales?
1: You know, I've seen it. It's every organization and team that I've been a part of. I've seen it different ways. I used to think that the only way for them to really, you know, be successful was to align with marketing. But I've actually been very impressed. I don't feel like there was, there's been a disconnect when they moved over to sales. I think for them, it's actually been a little bit better to have that alignment with sales leadership. And we didn't drop we didn't drop off the cadence of our marketing meetings and things like that.
0: Yeah, I like this. Uh, I like this part a lot. I think that's 100% is what makes the difference. If, if the marketing person really understands sales, then, you know, can lead a good SDR team. But if, if they don't, it's much better if they are under sales. And as long as there is the alignment that you mentioned, then mm-hmm. everything should flow properly.
1: Yep, definitely. And they should be incentivized to, you know, it's it, they're on the hook for their handoff calls and their numbers. And so for me, it's never made sense to, I guess, sever the hand that feeds you in that sense. Um, because it really is, I've always just seen it as a win-win for everybody. I'm like, hey, we would love to comp you more and help you crush your numbers, Right. And um, selfishly, I would love for my campaigns to get up on the scoreboard. So I've always seen it as a win-win when we work together.
0: Is there any trick to recommend in terms of handoff of uh, leads to STR? Do you guys do anything in particular to make sure that all the leads are followed up properly and there is enough information for the STR?
1: For sure. Yeah. So a couple of things that I've implemented are campaign briefs. And these are, it's a templated PDF doc that can be attached to the Salesforce campaign that just gives them a little bit of insight into what that campaign was. So you can use the campaign description field in Salesforce. Sometimes it's not enough and I like to attach supplemental materials. So that works really well. And then we also try and get in front of events or activities that are coming up. So we have that biweekly cadence where I have an opportunity to say, hey, over the next two weeks, here's what's coming down the pipeline as far as you know key event dates. And try and give them as much of a heads up so they can create a sequence in advance. Um, we use Outreach as kind of our SDR email sequence system. And so um, giving them as much runway as you can. And then once the leads are uploaded, I also send a follow-up email that says, you know, new leads and new inbound leads in your queue. And then I do create a Salesforce campaign report because we have SLAs for different leads. And so that Salesforce report, I give them insight into, and then also helps me ensure that stuff is actually moving through the funnel from inbound to contacting, you know, all the way to marketing qualified opportunities. And so there's a few different checkpoints that I've kind of implemented to make sure that Stuff goes in correctly at the front end, gets followed up with. And then I also leave room for feedback loop to say, hey, how did your conversations go with that event? Did you guys feel like it was a waste of your time? Do we need to adjust scoring? So we're having those 360 degree conversations.
0: That's really awesome. Uh, So I have one more question for you, Crystal. And is, um, do you have any quick act to share with? You know, any demand generation leaders and professionals here, if they want to try to get some SQLs or SQL or, or more pipeline uh, in very quickly, what would you recommend?
1: Bribing your sales team. No. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, one thing that I've come to realize in my marketing tenure is that most organizations don't have a lack of contacts problem. They have a lack of follow-up problem. And so I always say fortune is in the follow-up. And I think that sometimes getting creative and digging through your database to find opportunities for reviving some of those conversations. So whether that's going back through your closed lost opportunities, going back through your event leads from a show that might have been a few months ago, sending them some kind of a revive campaign, I know our our APAC team likes to call them, I think, zombie, <laughs> zombie campaigns, you know, and just kind of bringing some of those back. Sometimes you can find some low-hanging fruit or some quick wins and stuff that you've already brought in and spent money on. And if I had a metaphor I could place around it, it would be um, there's always a little bit more toothpaste in the tube. Sometimes you just got to roll a little bit more. <laughs> to kind of squeeze it out there but especially if you're limited on budgets or you're looking again for some quick wins um, take some time to go back through your data
0: i love the toothpaste metaphor <laughs> i think a lot of a lot of people are going to try to squeeze more toothpaste out of the tube <laughs> in the next two months especially this year
1: right yeah definitely
0: so, crystal it was really great having you as a guest on the episode today so i, re- I really enjoyed the conversation thanks so much for uh, for joining us
1: Absolutely. And likewise, uh, great conversation and happy to connect with anybody afterwards.